So welcome to the first Sunday of spring, huh? Wasn't yeah, wasn't this week a great week? The weather was absolutely stunning. Oh wait, I was the one in Southern California, not you. <laughs> yeah, no, I was actually. We were at a conference, a free church conference, uh, pastors, and uh, most of the time I was indoors, so I didn't enjoy it as much. But uh, it was uh, very nice. But I'll tell you what, Friday was fabulous here in Dubuque, and it was uh, just a beautiful day. And we've got more of those coming. Uh, I just want to say a word before I get started, and I want to say thank you for uh, a number of you have responded. Two weeks ago I shared about uh, the financial challenge that we had, and I challenged you to help us make up the difference and to go to auto debit, and many of you have. And I just want to say thank you for doing that. I really appreciate it. We're talking today, and we've been moving through the book of Hebrews, and the writer is addressing people who are going through difficult times. And really the question that they have is very similar to the question that we often ask, and it's this. If God loves us so much, and if He cares about us, and if He has a plan for our lives, why is life so hard? It doesn't seem like that should be the way it is. And so God, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that God has a plan for us, and God does love us, but we have, to have, we have to use what God has given us so that when we go through life and the circumstances of life, we can not just survive, but we can thrive. So the question is, uh, in each passage, we've talked a little bit about how there's encouragement from the book of Hebrews to people who are going through difficult times. So today's passages that we're going to look through is some of the same. But he's going to talk about, the writer is going to talk about two tools that we have, two really important tools that we have. And, and, and if we use those, then no matter what circumstances we come across in life, we'll have help in coming, not just, again, not just surviving life, but thriving. So what are those tools? And so the idea that we want to look at today is this, that we all need somebody in our lives that we trust and who can lovingly, carefully speak truth into our lives. We need a friend. And um, the idea here is, that we, we need a good counselor. And, and you think about a counselor, don't think of a counselor as you're laying on a couch and you're spurting out your inner child. That's not what the idea that we're thinking about. We're thinking about uh, a friend, somebody who knows you, somebody who cares about you, somebody who you've developed a relationship with, somebody, it may be your spouse, it may be a friend, but somebody that you could talk to about anything. And, and they could talk to you about anything. And they know you and you know them. And, and every one of us needs somebody like that in our lives. We all need a good counselor. And Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 describes what God has given us as help in this world. And notice what he says. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So here the writer says we all need somebody in our lives that can encourage us on a daily basis. We need that. We all need help in our lives. Because why? We all get discouraged. We all get down. We all struggle with temptation. We all come to a place sometimes that We feel like giving up or giving in. And we need somebody who's able to come alongside of us and encourage us. And I believe that's one of the main reasons why the writer says a little later on, 
Well, let me read you the passage. Chapter 10, verse 24. It says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now what he's writing about here is he's describing this gathering right now. What we're doing right now. He's saying don't, he says, don't be like some who don't gather together as the church. Don't be like that. But do it all the more as you see the day approaching. Now when he says the day approaching, he's not talking about Sunday, day of the week. What he's talking about and what the New Testament describes is as we come closer to the return of the Lord, the day of the Lord, as we come closer to that, time's going to get harder. Life's going to get more challenging. It's going to get more difficult. There's going to be more trials. There's going to be more tribulation. Life's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. And hasn't life become more complex in the last 10 years? I think our kids are going through some of the more difficult times and challenges and some would say they're soft and all that. I, I, all I know is there are more challenges today to live a life that's pleasing to God than there ever has been. There's more challenges to life than there ever has been. And what the writer says is in the, in the fate of where we're at today and where this world is headed, as Christ is coming back, don't forsake getting together like this. Why? Because we all need to be encouraged. We all need people in our lives that encourage us. And You know, it's like this. You've all been to a campfire, and if you take a you know you take a fire a log that's in the fire and it's red hot, and you just put it a few feet away from the fire. Now don't put it on grass because that'll start a wildfire. But put it away from the fire, and it it's not long before that red goes down, and then it starts to smolder and it starts to go out. You know what? It's sad because I've met a number of Christians, and that's where they're at. They're not connected to the local assembly. They're not collected or connected to the local church. And they're, they're smoldering. They're going out. The fire that they once had for Jesus is kind of gone. And they feel, when you talk to them, it seems like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't really have a lot of direction. Life's not really going well. I'm struggling. And I'm going, yeah, it's kind of hard to be a flaming, blazing log when you're not part of the fire. And so one of the, one of the things that we're encouraging you to do is to gather together in this church body. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This church has problems. <laughs> it's got issues. There's some really difficult people in this church. Absolutely. You know, yes, yes, and yes. And you know what? The day I walked into this, this room and the day you walked into this room today, it all came true because every one of us has baggage and every one of us has problems. And you know what? You can criticize the church all you want. You can say it's got problems or it, and all that stuff. But the bottom line is when you say that, you're talking about us. Here, here's what I think. You know you're going to hear what I have to think, right? <laughs> uh, the church is an interesting thing. And, and, and you have to be really careful when you criticize a local church. You've got to be really careful because it's like walking up to uh, a groom at, after he's given his vows to his, his bride at the reception. It's like walking up to the groom and saying, I just got to tell you something. Your bride is one of the ugliest looking girls I have ever seen in my whole life. I mean, seriously, that's like what you... Because when you do that, you would never do that. You, even if she is ugly, you would never say that. You would just never say that. You would say, well, she's kind or, you know, whatever, intelligent. And, and I know that goes both ways, ladies, so I'm not... Pick, 
But, but the point is, you would never do that. You would never, ever do that. You don't do that. You don't go into the hospital. But that's a whole other thing to say that about a baby. But uh, I'm drifting now. But here's the point. Here's the point. In the same way, when you criticize the local church and say, well, they're a bunch of hypocrites, they're a bunch of losers, you know, there are all these problems. Why don't you just walk up to Jesus and say to his bride, the church, what an ugly girl, because that's essentially what you're doing. So be very careful when you criticize the church. What, What the writer is saying here is the local church is very important. It's very important because God has given us one another to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to love one another. Jesus said at one point in his pastoral prayer, he says, you, the way you love one another is going to be a testimony to the rest of the world about whether I'm real or not. So it's a pretty important thing. And so the Bible describes this, this journey that we, is, as the Christian life. It describes it as a journey, and that we're all on a journey, and we need one another to complete this journey. And God has called us together as His church to encourage one another, to bear burdens, and to love one another. Now, most of you, when you you walk into a service like this, and I don't know whether you go to this service or the Saturday service or the the, uh, earlier service, um, or maybe you're here and you go to UD, but here's the point. You may look around and say, oh, I think I know that person, or there's the doctor or the dentist, or I know that person by face, or or I'll see them and I'll just say hi, but I don't know their name. And then there's a few people that you do know, right? In a group like that. So in a sense, and you know, in the whole idea of friends, you say, well, I have a lot of friends, or they're my friend, they're my friend, they're my friend. And what we mean by that is I know their name, they're an acquaintance, or we've had conversations before, or maybe we've gone to lunch before, they're my friend. I want to just say to you this. You have, if you have one or two or three friends, that's pretty much normal. And what I mean friend is they know you. They know when you're like doing well and when you're not. They know they care about you. They love you. It, and, and, and it's very... It, you don't have as many... You have acquaintances, but friendship is a different thing. And what I want to say to you is this. In a group like this, it's hard to be encouraged by one another. Some of you will, be walked, will walk into discouraged and you'll walk out encouraged. But you'll be encouraged because you've interacted with the Word of God or with the music that we sung. And you'll walk out with your head up and you'll be encouraged. I hope that many more of you will be encouraged because you're part of a small group. You're part of a group of people, of 8 to 12 people that get together on a regular basis. And you share life and you do life together. In other words, when you're going through a difficult time, they're the first ones that know about it. When you go into surgery and you come out, they're in the room waiting for you. When, when uh, you're struggling at work, you call them up and you talk to them and they talk to you. you they're the ones that, that, that are ready to give you a hug when you need it and give you a boot in the, in the pants when you need that. They're the ones that are willing to put an arm around your shoulder and walk with you and they're the ones that are willing to stand toe-to-toe with you and tell you what you need to hear. You know, that, that's, a, that's a different thing. And you know what? That's not going to come in a big group like this. Generally, that's going to come from people you know that you build relationship with. There's a level of trust, there's a level of time. And so I want to challenge you 
that you can be part of this local assembly, and that's great, and we're glad you can do that, but really the depth of what he's talking about here happens at a more intimate level. And it happens when you become part of a small group. It happens when you step out of your comfort zone, if you're an introvert, and say, you know what, I'm going to take a risk, I'm going to get plugged into a small group, and I'm going to become part of this small group. And you're going to develop those friendships. My biggest hope is that if you were ever to leave this community, you would say, boy, I've, the hardest thing about leaving this community is not leaving Hope Church, not leaving, listening to Matt ramble on and on about stupid things, but, but, but you leave your group. You say, I'm going to leave some of my best friends. You know, that's what it's all about. And see, that's what a small group is meant to be. So if you're not part of a small group, I want to challenge you to become part of a small group. And uh, you can go to the Connection Center after the service, and we'll work with you. We'll help you. We like to say that we have on and off ramps, easy on and off ramps, that maybe you get in a small group and it doesn't work out. And um, you think, wow, these people are kind of nuts, you know? And, okay, they might be. So then you jump out, and we'll put you in another group. And if you think they're nuts, too, then maybe we'll move you again, and we'll put you in another group. If you think they're nuts, then I think you may be the one that's nuts. And I maybe <laughs> Right. All right? So, 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 in a sense, the writer's saying that one of the tools, one of the things that God has given us is His church. That when we go through this life, this difficult time, we have each other to love each other and to bear one of those burdens and care about for each other. And, and, and if you're not part of a group, you need to get... Some of you have been coming for maybe over a year and you're not, you don't feel connected. You don't feel like people care about you. Well, guess what? They don't know you. <laughs> Some of you are new to hope and you don't know how do I get plugged in, how do I get connected. It's all through small groups. Get plugged into small groups. I challenge you to do that. So go to the Connection Center. You can get more information. Here's the second thing. So we need this good counselor. We need this good friend. And I kind of said God has provided the church. And more importantly, he's provided smaller groups of connections with friends where we can have that encouragement, which is really important. And the writer says, don't forsake getting together. It's important to do that. Uh, Secondly, the question is, we all need to be a good friend, a good counselor. And a good counselor is somebody who is able to balance speaking truth and having love. You know, the principle is this. That truth without tears can be brutal, can't they? Truth without tears can be brutal, they can be harmful. But tears without truth will often fail to get to the heart of needed conversations. And so you have to balance that out, truth and tears. Here's what I've learned, and it's similar to truth and tears. i found that some people are feelers, and they're the kind of people, well, they're feelers and fixers. And so you know that you're dealing with a fixer when you're struggling and you're sharing your heart, you're pouring your heart out, and the person keeps saying, well, all you need to do is this. Well, why don't you do this? Well, why don't you do this? And you're going, you're not helping me. You're making me angry. You know, I don't need you to fix anything. You know, I need a feeler right now. I need you just to empathize with me. And so when you're sharing your heart, they're saying, well, that's, that's too bad. How... how Talk more about that. Express that more. Share with that more. I'm sorry that happened to you, you know. In other words, they're putting an arm around you. They're giving you a hug. They're, they're... But see, here's the balance. The balance is sometimes we need somebody to look us in the eye, stand with us toe-to-toe and say, you know what, I'm seeing something going on in your life and it's not good. What, 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 why did this happen? What, why are you, what is going on here? How can I help you? See, we need the balance. Sometimes we need somebody who is able to just 
just give us a hug. Just put an arm around our shoulders. Other times we need somebody that's just going to stand with us toe-to-toe and say, hey, what's going on? How can I help you? Because it seems like you're going like, like off the reservation here. There's things, like, things aren't going well here. And in a sense, we need that. A, a good counselor is able to balance both. Able to balance both. So Jesus was an incredible example of somebody who balanced truth and tears. And, and he was able to, to weep with people who are weeping, but he was able to say the hard things to people that needed to hear the hard things. That's a hard balance to have. So I want to ask you two questions as we, we think about this. Number one, do you have somebody like that in your life? Somebody who is able to balance the truth with tears? Somebody who's able to, to weep with you but also speak truth to you? Somebody who's just not, you know, uh, I, 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 uh, something that's kind of dawned on me recently is that friendship overlooks a multitude of sin, and it shouldn't. Do you know what I mean by that? Some of you have friends, and you see them doing things and behaving in sinful ways. And you'd say, well, yeah, that's just who they are. No. If you're a friend, there has to be a point where you just say, truth, man, truth, right? And, 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 and sometimes there needs to be tears. So how are you doing as finding somebody like that? And secondly, how are you doing being that person in somebody's life? How, how are you being... Because maybe you're, you're, you, you err towards more of the side of feeling, and you, you, you like the feeling part, but the truth part is, oh boy, that's pretty confrontational. Or maybe you're on the other side, and you, I like the truth part, man. That's a, I'm all about truth, man. I'm all about, you know, I, I'll, I'll set you straight. But there's really none of, the, none of the feeling. There's none of the encouraging. So, so do you have somebody like that, and are you somebody... Are you like that in somebody's life? See, it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to get plugged into a small group and somebody's going to walk up to you and say, by the way, I'm going to be that friend for you. That's, there has to be a level of trust. There has to be a level of time. And uh, you'll grow into that. But that's what we're shooting for is that you'll balance that out. So the first thing that we see is that God has given us this great resource. It's called His church. That we're to be that kind of person and groups for one another. And it's not going to be 20 or 30 or people. It's not going to be a big group like this. It's going to be a smaller group. So I'm challenging you to find those people and find those groups within this body. We will help you with it, but we can't do it for you. Okay? Number two, we all desperately need not just a good counselor, but a wonderful counselor, an incredible counselor, an incredible friend. And the author of Hebrews is going to just talk about this Got this person, Jesus, who balances truth with tears, and Jesus came to be our wonderful counselor. And Jesus knows what we're going through. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to relate to people because you, you, you're trying to uh, empathize with people, but you've never suffered what they're suffering. You've never lost a child. You've never lost a parent, or you've never gone through this, the the tragedy or the sickness or the pain that they're currently going through. So it's, it's hard for you to relate to them. And, and, and it's, you, you want to, but you really can't do it. And Jesus is the only one who can't. Now, I want to read you a passage from Hebrews 4, and it's an incredible passage, and I want to kind of take it and apply it a little bit, because this is what I want you to see. I want you to really walk out today and I want you to really understand and want you to really believe and see 
that Jesus understands what you're going through. I have no idea, but He does. And this is a passage that speaks about that. Look at it, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, this passage is quite amazing and striking. Now, what we tend to do is we tend to look at it and say, okay, Jesus was tempted and he didn't sin. That's what I see here. But it's saying much, much more than that. It's saying much, much more than that. And, and here's, here's what I think it's saying. Um, I was at the, the K Club, which is a ch- uh, free church pastors. We get together once a year, usually in Southern California. And we got together this week and for uh, Monday through uh, Wednesday. And it was very interesting. There were two or three guys that had back pain. They were, one had gone through recent surgery. Uh, Pastor uh, Chris Dolson from Blackhawk in Madison. And he was kind of recovering, just had back surgery. And they were going, a couple other guys were going through some back. And, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, if, if I had been at the meeting, I would have said, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Sorry to hear that, you know. I have no idea what you're going through, but that's too bad. About a year and a half ago, I hadn't done anything. I hadn't heard anything snap, twick, pop, twist, whatever. Um, I think I was just driving in the car, and I was tired. And the day after that, I woke up and my back began to hurt in the morning. And later in the day, it got more and more extreme until in the afternoon and right around dinner time, I began to have back spasms. And I'm the kind of guy that, like, I gashed my thumb and it was bleeding. My wife says, you know, your thumb is bleeding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like I got cuts and bruises all over. It just, I just don't, I, I think I have a higher tolerance of pain. I want to tell you something. I was laying on our bed and I was in agony. I could feel the, the spasm coming. And, you know, ladies... I want to just say, I don't know what labor pain is. If it's anything like this, you guys are rock stars. Absolutely. All I know is I could feel the contraction or the pain coming, the spasm coming. And I thought, I think what I need to do here is relax. And it gets tighter and harder and harder. And what did I do? I tightened up. And I was laying there. I was literally crying. And I knew another one was coming. And that went on for hours. And I finally said, I I was yelling to Carol between spasms, come up here, please, because I need to go to the uh, ER. I finally went to the ER, uh, and the doctor there said, oh, I'm going to give you a shot, and within 20 minutes, that's going to take care of it. Don't worry. 20 minutes went by. 30 minutes went by, nothing. It didn't work. It didn't help. And, and I'll tell you what, I went through three weeks, and then the spasms kind of t- tapered off, but I went through three weeks to a month before I was back. And I haven't had a problem since, but I remember that. So when I was there, and these guys were talking about back pain, 
I said, I know what you're talking about. I remember what it felt like to go through those spasms. I remember the agony that I was in going through that. What the writer is saying here in Hebrews, he's saying, you have a God, you have a high priest who came to earth and understands the lowest lows that you have ever experienced in your life. Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever had people betray you? Have you ever had people who said, I will follow you to death and then run away at the first sniff of trouble? Have you ever had people that's, that, that, that said, I'll stand by you and they fled and no one was around? Have you ever had people that you created to be there in your image and they're looking up at you while they're hanging you on a cross and mocking you? Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been through the pain of a crucifixion? Have you ever been through the pain of, of losing a relationship that was there before eternity and at the moment of your greatest need you cried out and it was gone? Jesus understands. He not only experienced the lowest lows that this earth could ever give and deal a person, but he experienced the highest highs. You see, you know it's one thing when you're used to eating, uh, you know, having hamburgers and stuff, and then you start having filet mignon and the greatest cuts of meat that, that there's ever been. And you go, I don't think I can eat a hamburger again. I mean, I gotta have good meat. I mean, or here's another one. If you've ever flown, you know, fly first class, and you go, oh, coach, we can't fly coach anymore. First class, you know. Uh, or you know, whatever it is, talk about whatever it is. If you've experienced the highest high, you've lost so much when you get to the lowest low. I mean, somebody who has never had much. There's not a lot of expectations. But when you've had everything and you, you give up everything, and that's what he did when he got off the throne and came to earth, he had, he had experienced the beauty, the incredible vastness of the universe. He had, he had it all. He gave it all up to experience the lowest low. You see, he didn't just experience the low, lower lows than you'll ever experience. He gave up the highest highs. He had it all, but He lost it all for us. So when, when, when the writer says, we do not have a high priest who does not understand, he's saying more than just Jesus was tempted. Though that was true. He's saying, Jesus suffered as much as you'll ever suffer. So when you go to Him and say, I'm struggling with loneliness... I'm struggling, struggling with fear. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with, 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 with rejection and betrayal and, 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 and pain and suffering. When you, when you go to Him, you're not talking to somebody who says, well, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. You're talking to somebody who says, I know. I know. I understand. Jesus didn't just come so He could identify with us. He came to make atonement or sacrifice for us. Notice what the writer says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. 
That is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. So what he's essentially saying here is the writer's saying that the, writer, that, that, that the high priest would have to offer sacrifices first for himself before he could offer sacrifices for the people. So he had to pre, do a pre-offering. The pre-offering was he had offered sacrifices for his own self and then for the people. But notice how he describes the high priest. He says he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. So the high priest was like a mother. But the mother had to make an offering for herself before she could for her children. That's essentially the picture that he's painting here. But here's the point. What Jesus did was even great because he's the ultimate high priest. We're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But Jesus, the ultimate high priest, he didn't just offer a sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. He became, as John said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So before Jesus could become our high priest, he became our offering. He became the only offering that could be offered for our sin. And so Jesus is the greater high priest, but he was also the great and final offering, the once and for all offering. We'll see that more as we move on. So Jesus provided provided the way, the only way, out of the struggle by giving his life as a sacrifice. And because of Jesus and his sacrifice, we can come to the throne of grace. It says boldly. Now, when when we say come to the throne of grace boldly, it says that in the passage we read. It's, it's not that we come proudly with our heads up thinking, you know what, I deserve to be here. I'm a good person. I, 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 uh, I, I live a good life. You know, it's, what it's saying essentially is this. The writer's saying we can come to the throne of grace and find grace and mercy. Why? Because Jesus came to the throne of grace and offered himself for us and became our high priest. And because of his offering, now we can come boldly because of what Jesus did for us. You see, you don't come because of what you've done. You come because of what He's already done for you. You come because He offered the only perfect sacrifice, once and for all sacrifice for you. So we can come with our heads up. We can come knowing that there's grace and mercy, not because we deserved it, not because we've earned it, not because we have done anything, because I I just want to... Please hear this because there are so many people in this community that think, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to have grace. I'm going to have mercy. I'm going to have forgiveness. Why? Because I'm a good person. Because I follow the rules. Because I'm part of this religious denomination. Because whatever, you know, I'm better than other people. Because I have a resume that proves that I'm a pretty good person. And they're going to present a resume to God one day. And God is going to say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Please hear this message because so many people, you may have come in here and you thought, I just think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Please, if you understand that, you're believing a lie from the pit of hell. The only way you will stand right before God and you will find grace and mercy is if you call upon the the Jesus Christ who was first the sacrifice and then the high priest offering himself as the sacrifice and only as you come by his blood will you find grace and mercy at the throne of God. Please do not come on your own works because you will fall woefully short. Please don't do that. The writer says because Jesus went before us, because he offered himself, because he came, became our ultimate high priest, we can come before the throne of grace and we can always find mercy. We can always find grace. And we can find somebody who understands what we're going through. So when you pray to God and say, God, I'm angry. God, I'm upset. God, I'm worried. 
God, I'm afraid. God, I've been betrayed. God, I'm in pain. You're talking to somebody who says, I know, I understand. I've been there. That's the God we have. And the question I want to close is with this. Has Jesus become your wonderful counselor? Notice what he says in Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And, and, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So the question is, when did Jesus offer up these prayers? And these, these? Well, it tells us in Matthew. Matthew 26. Then Jesus came to them, this is the disciples, to the place, came with them to the place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He began to be grieved and distressed. And then He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with Me. And He went a little little beyond them and he fell on his face praying and he prayed saying my father if it's possible let this cup pass from me yet not as I will but as you will Jesus drank the cup of eternal justice and he showed infinite love you see what Jesus did when he gave himself on the cross was this he he loved us enough to come to earth and give His life. And He says, I love you so much that I will willingly give my life for you. That's the love, right? The truth is, I had to come. There was no other way. There was no other answer. Jesus prayed, Father, if there's any other way, not my will, but Yours. And so unless you understand that, unless you understand that Jesus had to leave the heights of the universe and experience the lows of this world and had to offer Himself. There was no other way. There was no other plan. You will never understand the Gospel. But the Gospel says that I'm so needy and I'm so lost that I desperately need a Savior. And Jesus chose to come and die for me. The other side is I'm so loved. I'm so cared for. I'm so beloved by God that Jesus came willingly for me. And when you understand that, it will change your heart. It will change your life. You see, here's what the passages are saying to us today. We have a couple of great resources. We have one another. Yes, we're an imperfect body. We have flaws. We have problems. We have issues. And you can give up on the body, but you'll be a log that it's going to go out. Or you can invest yourself in the body. You can become connected to it, the bride of Christ. You can get connected in a really smaller group way so that you'll find those friends that can balance the tears with the truth. But you also have another person, and that's Jesus. And you can go to Him. You can go to the throne of grace. And you can say, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I need help. And Jesus will always be there for you. He won't just be there for you. He will say, I know what it is like to suffer. 
I know what it is like to be rejected. I know what it is like to be lonely. I know what it is like to be fearful. I understand that. Will you trust Him? The writer of Hebrews says this world is, this journey in this world is hard. The life is going to get more difficult. Gather together, but understand that God has given you His church, but He's also given Him Son. And if you rely upon both those things, you won't just survive. You will thrive. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we can't do this without Your help. We need each other, and we need Your Son. Help us to at least understand that or recognize that. Thank You, Father, that Jesus experienced the great heights of the universe, even beyond the universe, because the universe is a created thing. He experienced the greatest heights that there ever were. And He experienced the lowest lows that this earth could ever deal anyone. So when we go to Him, He understands. Help us to just express our feelings and our thoughts, our fears and our dreams with Him. Help us to connect with each other, Father. Not to give up on that. Help us to reach out to others and not just look for them to minister to us, but find ways that we can reach out to others and minister to them. You've brought us together, Father, to minister to one another. May your church, may this local assembly so love one another, care for one another, that the world stands, not just the world, let's be more specific, that Dubuque, that the tri-state area, that our neighbors would say, what is going on at Hope Church? How much they love each other. It's amazing. What is causing that? It's beyond description. I want it. May our love for each other, Father, as Jesus prayed, be a powerful testimony to this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.